This presentation is from UX Australia 2015, held in Sydney. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit uxaustralia.com.au. So uh, following on um, a, a little theme in, in this hall today, um, just around the, the notion of growth, um, the last talk was around sort of spreading UX into the organisation. This one's about growing a team. Um, please join me in welcoming to the stage Franco. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Um, I'm Franco Papeski. Difficult to pronounce, so you can find me as Bobby Watson on Twitter. Much easier. Um, I'll tell you one story about that over a drink tonight. Um, when I'm not as nervous as I am now giving a talk, I usually lead a team of researchers and designers um, in an educational technology company called EF, Education First. And today I want to talk to you about the journey that I've been through in the past two years, two years and a half, starting a design team there and growing a design team from a team of one to a team of 10, 13. Things that I've learned, things that I have failed multiple, multiple times, things that I have, thanks to friends and managers who were working with me before, I have managed to get away with without getting fired. And hopefully, the way um, that has helped the team working better, and that has also helped me form some key points that will that help me reflect a little bit. And I want to share them with you uh, with the goal of probably helping you fail faster than I've done. Um, so all the points, all the failure points will, will become flag for you when you see them in your team or as you start creating a team, um, think about what you'll see today and start thinking about solutions there. To give you a little bit of context, um, EF is a product-driven organization. This is what we do in a, in a couple of minutes. We create products to help people learn a new language, uh, mostly English, so most of you will not need this one, uh, this set of products, and you probably don't, are not aware of. So we do what we call self-study courses. People study by themselves in front of a computer or on a mobile phone, and then they, we help them connect with other people, students or teachers on the other side of the world through online classes. So whenever I'll talk about products today, those are the products I mean. Uh, those are the self-study parts to learn a language. Those are the classrooms to help people connect with teachers and students. And this is the end of the promo for, for EF. Um, and really the beginning of the learning points. Um, as I mentioned, the past two years, two years and a half, were just a change, a, a constant adventure to me, for me to find a better way of organizing a team, of organizing the way we work on the products. And it felt pretty much as a roller coaster, all the failure points and all the excitement levels. Um, so much so that, yeah, it's, it's an adventure. It has been an adventure. And the way I want to frame it today is also describing it as a game. As a, so with a proper voice, I'm going to talk about experience design director, the game. Um, the first thing that I realized when I had when I accepted the, the job um, as a 
design director, was I started talking to many people. Uh, some of them are in the room here. Some of them um, were previous managers and colleagues of mine. And I realized that everybody had different views of what a design director is. And that was shaped by their working styles. Anthony this morning mentioned uh, the working styles, the way um, people prefer to, to, wor to work. Uh, but also their previous experiences their and, their previous and their motivations, what they want to achieve as a, um, as a, lead, uh, as a leader of a team. So in a, in a game fashion, what are the, super, uh, the superpowers? What are the, the skills that you have to have as a design director or as a lead of a team? For me, um, the, my... Um, for me, the, the major motivation was to be able to work as a designer, but at a much bigger scale than, I, was to than I, I could do by myself. So to have a team to really help me out. And my previous skills, my background is essentially the one of, a, uh, of an individual contributor, the one who has done lots of projects, has faced research and UX and UI projects, and have one friends influence people from the way from from the bottom up. So really crafting that part, um, that will influence. We'll see later the way you. I have faced some of the challenges um, that I had to to go through. Some of you may feel much more in tune with the idea of it being a creative visionary, the one that really has the desire and the passion to disrupt an industry or to disrupt a product and to really have the division from um, three, four, five years down the line, rather than being a practitioner on the day-to-day. -day. Some of them may feel more in tune with being a people manager, um, one who really wants to create a team to make the individuals in the team shine and get better and get their ideas through. So really define what motivates you to start such an adventure helped me and helped other people in the, in the team understand how to move in the, in the following steps. You'll see later. The second part to define at the very beginning, and this one, you'll get through that, hopefully in an interview, during the interviewing process, if you get hired from outside, or if you get promoted from inside, you understand it, you probably live and breathe uh, the context, the situation, the, the world you are in. Um, that the, many variables uh, are important in that case. What is the level of maturity of user experience in the organization you are? What is the type of projects, the skills, the tasks that you, that you are assigned? And what, are the, what is the scale um, of, of your team? So for example, you may get things like and this one was the case for, for EF, in, in my case. We had a functional team, a team that really is defined by the skills, the practices um, of being a researcher or, be, or being a designer. And it's assigned to single projects uh, rather than embedded, like in other examples, and embedded into product teams. Other context that you may get is an idea of a team as a community of practice, um, very loosely connected between one person and the other, just sharing stories, sharing the, um, what worked and what didn't, 
but really being embedded into a product team. That wasn't our case at IDF, but uh, companies like Spotify are organized in a much more, in a way that is much more similar to a community of practice than to a functional team. Or you may get other contexts like the instigator squad, a, the, really a small team that is focused on one significant project at a time and wants to change that um, and, and improve the quality in there. So reflect again once you start your adventure, start reflecting what is the context that you are in, what is the situation um, that, that you have. That determines if you are the best match for that and if you are, and what can you play with, what are the variables. So in this case, well, what, I wanted, what I want to show you is the combination of a promoted practitioner in a functional team. What are the, the, the big challenges that I faced in, in this situation? And hopefully that will help you reflect on your ones. When I was hired, my, my boss at the time, who was the, the head of product, told me, okay, you have 12 months, and while you're working on the different things, you have two major points, two major results that you have to have for me, two major missions. The first one is shape a team, give a heart, a soul, a brain to this new team. And the second one, make it scale, make it grow, make it so that it has an impact over the single project. Those, were, those are the two missions that I'm going to discuss with you about. Those, this is the adventure for, for today. It looks quite simple, but it has, like any, any adventure, any story, it has lots of pitfalls and lots of small and big challenges there. I'm going to discuss on four out of the six that I think are, are the major ones more in detail. So let's start. The, as a first mission, the one of creating a team, giving it a heart, giving it a soul, make the heart of, of the new team beat. The first, really, really the first challenge that we had was, in our case, I inherited people from different parts of the organization. If you create a new team, you were previously a team of one and you start becoming a team of three or four, you may hire other people but the, the common element that I've seen discussing with many, uh, in seeing many cases, is that there is a lack of a shared understanding of what people are supposed to be as designers, what, what the version of a reality is different from one another. That is what um, Dave Gray was mentioning yesterday. This self-healing bubble was different from uh, if I had to, if I started talking with my researcher or with the graphic designer, they have a different version, different set system of beliefs and experiences that have led them to understand the design team should be this versus that. So I had to burst the bubble, or at least to try and see through the different bubbles and to create hopefully a better one. My initial reaction was, okay. I'll, I'll be the dictator here, I'll define what it needs to happen, and I had discussed with other managers who have been through that, and they told me, no, it's a failure. You, you, you'll just stress, you'll just go through a very unpleasant top-down moment. So I did a couple of steps back, and I approached the, the completely opposite point, which was, 
let's have dinners, let's, let's have conversations, let's have movie nights and game nights, and let's not discuss about anything that is UX. Let's create a group of people who want to understand each other a little bit more. And that helped reveal what were links, what were interesting articles, books, things that had formed the different opinions of other people. At the same time, yeah, we were working on small projects, on the projects that were already started, so there was not an immediate need of really having a position paper of what design is at EF. And, and that helped rem gain trust with each other and start really sharing a common dictionary, a common vocabulary, a common set of small stories that then created what the psychologists called a holding environment, a, a safe place where change can happen. You don't mistrust the other person. You don't just try and influence the other person. You are part of the same um, group of people at that point. That was the moment when my, the dictatorial part of me was say, ha, now I'll start defining a little bit more what it is. So we started working and, and viewing a little bit things that lots of other designers and, and uh, authors had written before. Uh, there is Oliver Reichstein had presented the spectrum of user experience. You may have seen dozens and hundreds and probably thousands of different versions of what is user experience in a nice diagram. That's essentially what we went through. We tried to see what, what, was the, what were the components there until we stumbled on an article from John Ince that was essentially the definition of user experience as a, as a function. The interesting part here is not just a diagram that actually um, going through the other day, discovering that it actually has interaction design twice, um, which is an interesting consideration. And I don't know why it is there, but it's one of the diagrams in an article in Interaction in 2007. Um, but it was for us to start working to the process of what is important for us. What do we want to consider the, our remit? What do we want to consider our core skills and how do we find ourselves? So this is what the outcome of our series of conversations um, was. And it's pretty and it has lots of colors, but the process to get there was much more interesting. Um, and the things that we left outside were much more interesting than the ones that are here. In our company, there are dozens of content editors who are really um, writing the lessons for, to teach a language. And in our case, content strategy, not that important. They are the experts. They are the ones that have already the, ex the experience and the skills there. So we decided at the beginning not to include content strategy or anything related to um, well, the, the copywriting there. Well, we had to find, we found ourselves, prototyping was one of the skills that was really, really important. Developers were crying because they were tasked to do, essentially, prototypes with real code, with, um, with clean code. And that essentially created a lot of waste cycles for, for them. So we started getting into prototyping much more before they get into, uh, well, UATA and live codes. And we did the same not only for the design skills, but for something else that is much more soft. We call them the, the connect skills. 
the, the way we are able to plan, the way we are able to give rational, the way we are able to communicate with each other and with other teams and started doing something similar. We started defining what kind of product knowledge and industry knowledge we had to have in order to be a successful team. And what, what do we care about? And what are the core values that we want to push? And being empathetic and having an entrepreneurial spirit was, for us, quite a significant step to have or quite a significant statement to, to make. That helped us go through the very first challenge that was create a shared understanding for us and for other people in the company of what is more or less at a super high level, what do we And then we had to go much more in detail and, and realize that we don't work in isolation and we actually work with um, developers, with the content editors, with product owners and stakeholders and that we are, they have been there for 10 years, 15 years in the organization. They have uh, made the organization as successful as it is now, uh, for good or bad. So we had to really play their game at the beginning and try to understand how do we fit into there. Maybe change it a little bit. We started easy. Um, developers had uh, adopted agile methodologies a couple of years before. So with all the um, insights of having worked in an agile development series of projects before, with all the um, well, uh, lots of different inputs and, and books and articles uh, since, well, Lynn Miller um, described the parallel process of agile, and U agile development and UX, we started working into the how. We started using projects as a unit for experimentation. A project that maybe wasn't the most significant one to get delivered, but we started saying with a couple of product managers and, and scrum masters, we want to play on how we work together and create a couple of tracks, a couple of versions, see when do we define the concepts, um, do we define them into a sprint, do we define it out of, of the sprint, how do we work together with that, and what works and what doesn't? The outcome was, for us, apart from months and months of tweaking on, on this one, was a, I would say, a checklist. Because um, in, the, in the development team, they love their checklist in our, in our company. So we went and tried to speak their own language. And it was interesting for them. It was interesting for them to realize and start unpacking what do we do on a two-week sprint basis. Uh, how do we work on that one? But it was much more interesting for us. Um, the, pink, uh, the pink squares are the, the squares where we need collaboration, where we cannot function at all. We, there's nothing that we can do if we don't bring other people on board. And it was a realization for a couple of people in the team especially that, oh, actually a designer is not somebody who opens um, Sketch or Photoshop or, or OmniGraffle and works on the wireframe. A designer is somebody who talks to people, who start and facilitate a conversation rather than, and then capture the outcome into wireframes and sketches and so on and so forth. And making it visible started the, the change process from us. 
it raised much more cur curiosity from other people in the team so, and outside of the team. So we started having presentations and workshops to present what we do as designers much more in detail. How do we work on user research in an agile method and so on and so forth. But actually, to be honest, the, the workshops and presentations were quite nice and well-designed and crafted. It were, they weren't effective. Uh, the best way that we found was a go-to-meeting link, um, a live feed of usability tests, so that developers, while working, could hear the conversation, could observe what was happening, could see the 100 possible ways a user will fail or will get a workaround or will get frustrated with what we had designed first and develop it later. And that started opening a conversation that started being a series of stories that changed the beliefs, that changed the way, changed the actions, changed the belief. It was a way for us to start spinning uh, a little bit the version of the story that we had heard so far. And it, and it happened the same with workshops and design concept. As soon, as soon as we realized that QA developers were the creative force of a couple of workshops, we were like, well, okay, so th there's something going on here that is, it's not the designer who has the role of coming up with all the ideas, and it's actually much more interesting to have a conversation and a workshop with other uh, disciplines inside the project. It may sound obvious, but it wasn't to us. So if it is obvious for you, brilliant. That, that means that the organization you work in has gone through this series of steps already. And this helped us arrive to a couple of good points um, that were quick wins. Once we had defined a couple of key frustrations, we had to go through how do we have an impact on the KPIs of other people in the building in, the, in a short and effective way. One, one thing for us was to define a priming moment for people who use Google Chrome who had to allow one technical functionality. Um, we had few usability tests that demonstrated that people actually don't see the little window that happened on the top left corner of Google Chrome when they are asked to um, use uh, to enable a microphone, for example, or to enable flash. And that was one of the quick wins. We started creating a panel that says, hey, please authorize that. And that helped increase like 10% of the success um, performance. And it was a super short one to start gaining credibility on that. And that helped us arrive to the third challenge, um, which I'm going to skip, but just to give you an over, uh, a quick sense of what it was, we started being asked, okay, what do you want the product to be two years down the line, three years down the line? It's not just about quick wins anymore, it's about defining what is the target, what is the aim that you want to achieve. And we had different versions of reality again. We had different objectives, hidden, uh, hidden agendas. Each person in the team had different ideas there. That is a much longer discussion to have. So you can ask a question later, or you can ask me over a drink tonight or over, over lunch, but I'm going to skip this one um, and leave you with the curiosity of that. So the, the, first, the first mission, if you, 
if you had to summarize, you'll get through the first few months trying to define a shared understanding of what it is that you're doing, trying to work with other people, other teams, and then try to influence what is the objectives, uh, what is the objective, the long-term objective that you want to, to get to. And if you get through those ones, well, good done. Well done. You get your, your first badge. You, you get your first um, mission done. And you're ready for probably the second, the second mission. The second mission happens when a CEO or a senior vice president of something, something realizes that the small projects that you have done or the medium-sized project that you have done had some good vibe, some good spirit, some, a good reputation. You start getting this um, credibility, and all of a sudden you inherit maybe a couple more people, or you get uh, more budget to, uh, to hire somebody, or another business units want to work with you. And then from three people to five people to 10 people to 13 people, you start having not only one focus anymore, not only a couple, three, four projects, but you start widening your horizon and you start having those um, divergent uh, moments where you work on something and you work on something completely different that has nothing to do with that. The consequence of that? Well, if you are a promoted practitioner, like, like I am, if you have organized your first few months being at the forefront, being the person who leads when when needs to be um, on a hands-on basis and getting your hands dirty, when you start having 10 projects at the same time, you become a bottleneck. You, you start becoming somebody who really is the, at the convergence point of every single project. And that is a huge, huge problem that I didn't realize when it happened to me. But some of the symptoms, so if this happened to you, be, be aware that you may start becoming the bottleneck. That maybe you are flying from one meeting to another and you have no idea what this meeting is about. You have no background story and you are asked to give opinions, make decisions. Um, and you start asking the other designers in the room and they are just too shy or maybe too um, afraid or maybe they don't have the background knowledge themselves. To, to, to make a decision. The other point that you, uh, at which you can realize this happens, if, you, if is your creative director sending you an email with this picture here. Micromanager, commence micromanagement. Commencing micromanagement. And with this file, this audio file here. That is a pretty clear sign that something is going on there. It happened to me. So Momo, my creative director, October last year, sent me this one. And it was brilliant in a way that made me realize, okay, what am I doing wrong? Anthony this morning mentioned about becoming self-aware and starting a process of self-awareness. I decided to take a slightly opposite, or a slightly different approach, slightly opposite, whatever. A slightly different approach. I started treating this as a problem, as a design problem. And being part of the problem, I decided to ask a person who was 
working as a manager in a team who, uh, that had scaled successfully a couple of years before, asked her, can you help me? Can you help be a researcher? Can you do shadowing? Can you do observations with me, with people in my team? Can you, can you start doing proper user research on the way we organize our team? essentially defining the team, defining the process as the design materials we were playing with and asking her to do user research for us. She accepted, she helped us out and the insights that were coming were essentially quite simple, was people in the team really feel lack of ownership on the different projects and at the same time I was perceived as the only method to get alignment. I was the one who was on all the projects, was in all the meetings, so I was the, the source of knowledge for everything. We tried to change a little bit. We created single point of contacts for projects, for different business units, for different products. We called them project champions just because I wanted to have a Monday morning meeting that is called the breakfast of champions. But as um, call them as you want, but those are the single point of contacts that have all the power and authority to work on the different, different products there. And at the same time, to have a project manager inside the team to help us create organizational alignment, resources and conflict management and so on and so forth. Really delegated to, to her, to the project manager, to, to help me get away from being the, the central point. That changed the model. That changed the, the organizational model, as I mentioned, from being Franco-centric, where I'm the, the golden one there, or the yellow, to be much more fluid, to be much more, um, well, where conversations happen at any different level, at any different point. Practical, tangible things to enable this one, very simple. Um, first one. All the projects we were doing are safely and neatly organized into a server. Every project has a folder name and all the structure, and that may be familiar. Also, invisible. Not many people take care of actually going through the server and seeing what other people are doing. So we, we, did, we call it, well, it's picture or didn't happen, but also we essentially started synchronizing the server with the walls. We printed everything that we had there, and at any point in time, every week, we update everything that we do so that people see it. There is a loose awareness of what other people are doing. There is a constant update and constant comments. Meetings are happening in front of those just to get, get a sense of um, on 10, proje 10 different projects, is there something that can be aligned? Is there something that I need to be aware of that I wasn't? At the same time, once we find something that is crystallized, and this is quite common practice, is to start defining design guidelines. And then from that point, to start defining CSS frameworks and, and libraries for mobile, um, for mobile applications. So really start crystallizing this one and ask the designers, you don't need to reinvent those and put your creativity into something bigger than reinventing a rounded shape button, please. Um, and that freed us time and space and mental energy to go to a next set of challenges. We had few 
weeks when we organized, we tried this, this method, this organizational uh, change into a couple of projects, then we scaled it up to the, all the projects, and I was like, oh, finally, my job is done here, everything will be calm, now we can focus on actually doing awesome stuff. No, um, a breakup, some HR issue, two designers uh, conflicting with each other, a PO and a designer really shouting at each other made me realize that actually, no, nothing stays quiet. And the, the frustration that I had was due to something very familiar probably to, to some of you. The story that a team goes through a forming phase, then there is a little bit of storming, but it will go away, and then you can get on and, and process, uh, progress to the norming and performing phase. I was, in, in those weeks when I was really frustrated, I, I stumbled upon the presentation from David Sherwin, which is the guy on top uh, left there, uh, who is the director of lynda.com, who was presenting exact, uh, UX director of lynda.com, um, who was presenting exactly this problem. And he was defining through some research that had identified that actually the storming phase is always going to be there. So deal with that. Now, not being a great people manager myself or not having a lot of experience of people managing myself, that was a problem where I had to focus a lot of attention and try to understand and discuss with few people how to improve this one. Not sure I identified the best solutions, but the first one is always try and be there in the room before things happen. As soon as you get a loose signal of something going on, I had really every day I had my headphones on when I was not in meetings. And as Martina was mentioning yesterday, I think, um, I decided to remove them. I decided to actually be aware of the conversations that were happening in front of me between two people in my team or, other, or one PO and one designer to be aware of what was happening and then follow up into, we have a room that has a sofa. It really feels like a therapy room. So after that, say, okay, let's spend five minutes. Do, let, tell me what happened and tell me what happened at an emotional level and tell me what happened at a logical level. That was the first step for me. And then I realized I was having all these sort of problems to deal with. Everybody was happy that they were feeling they could rely on me for their problems. But now I had a baggage of problems to solve that were personal or interpersonal. So I moved one step more and said, together with the problem, you come and find me a solution or a variety of solutions. They may not be the best ones. You may ask opinions. You may ask advice for those ones, but never come with a problem without a variety of solutions on how to solve them. That empowered them once more to say, oh, I can try and propose new ideas. I can try and propose how to um, do concept and concept testing outside of a Scrum um, um, project, for example. So those were the, the three things. Always chat with the team before, uh, as soon as it, you hear something, just put them aside five minutes and ask them to debrief emotionally as well as logically. 
and then ask them solutions. I'm sure there are other ways to deal with the spaghetti mess of team complexity. So if you have some ideas, please give them to me. Happy to experiment on that one. And then the third challenge in, in this mission is something that where, again, I'm going to skip through um, and leave you with the curiosity of this one. But the challenge is that one year down the line, a few months down the line, the novelty, the, the honeymoon period of a new design team is faded. People in the team, they are now accustomed to how things work. They are probably a bit more scared of changing their habits or constantly experimenting on new ways because they found a way of dealing with the new normal. And other people outside of the team, they consider the design team as part of the organization. So nothing should break, nothing should um, go less than smoothly there. There are a few ways that we have identified how to solve it, and it's mostly about reputation and storytelling. Um, again, ask me more uh, over a drink. Overall, if you manage to grow through um, this second mission without getting fired, without getting a burnout, and actually being happy, these are the challenges that you have found. You have removed yourself from being a bottleneck, distributed and delegated as much as possible, um, found ways to deal with the spaghetti mess of emotional and logical complexities of a team, and then you have found a way to be in the machine, but also challenge the machine at the same time. And that is something that is particularly difficult. And if you go through this, you probably get your second badge. And, and you want to tackle more and, and bigger missions. You want to try and change a product inside out. And you want to discover missions that you don't know yet. So this is a never-ending game, uh, or at least it ends when you decide it to end. But through this game, you have identified, you have found few more tools that you can use, few more things that you can play with. Those are the things that we have described. You have a skills and competency model, all the diagrams that we discussed at the beginning. You have a design process that goes into the details and has experimented at a project level. Um, you have few things that we haven't discussed, so I'll skip them. Um, but you have your project champions in place. You have a project manager that helps you. You have things that are printed on walls and guidelines and principles and framework that help you really. And then you have found a way to organize your chats, your one-on-one one -on -one with people to understand better where they are. And then you have your catalog of quick wins and, and slow wins. What's the opposite of a quick win? big wins, and especially if you are a promoted practitioner, you get few more things. You get few bonus gadgets out of this. The first one, you get a, a caterpillar to start removing problems in front of people. You start becoming, changing your role from being a hands-on person to be somebody who just swipes the, the street for other people to do it. You start engaging into business conversations rather than in the, in the work on the day-to-day -day, uh, part. You start having binoculars to, to see a bit far ahead 
and not to be stuck in the uh, two-week two -week sprint cycle uh, or one-month sprint cycle or three-month um, three um, quarter cycle, if you want. And that gives you a bit more way to, to become or to have a better skills at being a uh, creative visionary. And then you have a sofa. You have a way to um, quietly and more comfortably chat with people. And so you start upping up your people management skill. Um, you're never going to become a people manager or a, uh, or a creative visionary, but you start having the tools and the gadgets to help you with that. And with those tools and with those gadgets, hopefully you manage to have people who smile and um, who want to take pictures all the time and want to just put names of there, there and grow the team as um, successful as you possibly can. And with that, that is the end. Thank you. Uh, we have time for questions. Questions for Franco. Yes. Thanks, Franco. That's my favorite session so far. Well done, mate. Um, my question is, when your design team, the team you're responsible, is part of a broader program, and it's actually the interface between your team and other functions mm -hmm. where the tension comes, how do you deal with that? Um, so let me try and understand better the, the question before I can, I can answer. The, as my team works with, with other teams and there is a, an external layer of organizational onion that... Mm -hmm. So we actually have started being de-siloed and essentially trying to be the layer that interacts with um, all the different teams. We had quite a series of, of problems at the beginning because all the projects were organized in a very specific siloed focus. And in our case, I can give you a couple of examples when you have to deal with things that are on mobile and on web or things that, are, um, that involve teacher and students. The, the organization is very separate. It's very siloed. And for us, was the only way was to first put everybody in a room, understand that we are doing this one. What is the consequence for all the different products and all the different scrum teams there? Second, define what is the priority for them. They have their own pipeline. They have their own uh, fantastic set of priorities. And we started questioning them because the impact of a design exercise that we had or a design project that we had influenced the priority of the work that I had to do. At the beginning, it generated quite some heated conversation. Um, and the, the tone of the conversation was, this is my pipeline. Don't mess up with them. I know what are the priorities. And at the, as we went through the, well, the reasons for that was that they didn't think they didn't have a way of being measured against that. So the, the following quarter, we started reorganizing. And this is one of the points that I haven't gone through in detail. We started reorganizing the objectives, not being on a product-by-product product basis, but being what is the outcome that we want the user um, to have? Do we want the user to be able to 
do a writing exercise and get the correction, for example. This was one of the typical examples. If so, then we have to cover five different teams, and all the five different teams have to be in place at the same time. Does that answer your question? Thanks very much, Franco. Thank you. We hope you liked this presentation from UX Australia 2015. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit uxaustralia.com.au.